That's right, when you hear that sound, it means one thing and one thing only. It is time for Brooklyn Paper Radio recording live from the Brooklyn Paper Building down here at Metro Tech Center in Brooklyn's downtown, which is America's downtown. I'm Gersh Kunzman of the New York Daily News. Of course, I'm going to be joined by Vince DiMaselli, my co-host, the current editor of these Brooklyn Papers. And we're going to have a shout-out, obviously, to our to our advertisers, Atlas Steakhouse, Dr. Joseph Lichter. He's a dentist. I and, of him. course, Village Care Max. We're going to talk all about them. We're also going to talk to our guests this week. we got Joe Dolce, former magazine editor, top guy at Details all those years ago. Well, you know what? He's written a book about pot. Hmm. It's called Brave New Weed, hmm. Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis. Hmm. And we're also going to be joined by Ted Ham, another magazine legend, this one from the Brooklyn Rail. And he has edited a book which is about Frederick Douglass, one of the greatest men in the history of these United States. So we'll talk to both of them. Now, last week we know what happened. Vince, you know what happened. What happened? I just kept talking. I talked the whole show, and Vince could not get a word I in. Not th- you, I mean, you couldn't even get a word I was in. Just trying. in you, Vince, you could not get a I word in edgewise. So I'm going to start the show the way I always start the show and talk about my week. No, I'm going to start the way I always do. Vince. What's going on? How you doing? It's a slow week. There's really not much happening this week. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I what got, have you been doing? I got nothing. I got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Really? I've been trying to try talk my wife down. Oh. She, Wait, when talk we, her down where? Well, when she went and voted uh, on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, historic election. It was an historic election, and she went to vote for, um, what was her name, Clinton? Yeah, Hillary Clinton, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I've almost so she vote. So now we walk out of the of the uh, of the voting area right across the street from my house, which is nice. That is nice. No line on Staten Island, by the way, in and out. I had a long line. Yeah, in and out. And uh, we walk out. I'm with my son. I'm we're walking, and I look at my wife, and she is in tears. I mean, she's in tears she's from voting. You're from saying from voting. She's like, a historic vote. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. what is going on? Well, I mean, it's a very and emotional she says time. no. She said, I just voted for a woman for president, and I'm like, well, well congratulations, you did. But I, those I voted tears, for a woman before also. Shirley Chisholm voted for her. Those tears. <laughs> no, I'm not that old. Come those on. tears did not match the tears mm-hmm. of, uh, of of Tuesday night. Yeah, later that night she had other tears. There, there were tears. That the, the tears of joy became tears of, I don't despair. know, dread. <laughs> <Despair>. <laughs> this is dread, despair. Yes, dread, despair. Wow, so your wife really took it hard. Yeah, she did. She yeah. did. And yeah, my I'm son, not married anymore, guys, so. M- yeah, you know. my son didn't sleep. Yeah. He couldn't yeah. sleep. Well, that was and he proudly he proudly declared himself a Democrat, which I found interesting. Well, you know, I I am a Democrat. I don't belong to any organized party. I'm a Democrat. He said to me, "Dad, I'm a Democrat." I said, "Well, I'm not a Democrat." Wow. And he says, "Well, what are you?" I says, "None of your business." Oh boy, wow! It's 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 getting ugly in the Dimaselli household no, out there on Staten Island. No, none of his well, anyway, that's a great week for Vince. I I myself, just to be fair to the listeners, because as you know, I, my heart, my soul, my sexual organs are on this radio every week. And I'll tell you, I'm a little disappointed by the election results. But we got to move on. And the way we move on in Brooklyn is we always look to the future. Am I right, Vince? Yeah, we go all in with Trump. I am all in. <laughs> well, whatever it takes. Anyway. We got to bring in our guests. First of all, I got to bring in Joe Dolce, former editor in chief of Details, a legendary magazine guy. And now he's got a new book out. It's called Brave New Weed Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis. Good thing about this is if you like the interview, you can go see Joe. I believe it's Friday night at the Park Slope Food Co op where they're going to have a forum on this book. Joe will tell us more about that. And anybody can go. You don't have to be a member of the co op like I am. And, 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 and that's pretty cool. It'd be a member. Really? Of You're a member too? I am a member. So Joe Dolce, thanks for joining us. Let's just start off right with the right with because it's. I, I looked at your book, frankly. Can I start about your sexual organs being all over the show? We're going to talk about that. We got plenty of time for that. Okay. Now, Joe, I, I look. I've known your work for years, and you got a book out, and that's great, huzzah! But it looks to me like this book was a big chance for you to go around the world: Amsterdam, Israel, California, Colorado. You're everywhere, and I think you're smoking some pot to write. And this I got book. paid for it a little. bit. And you got paid. So tell me, just tell us a little bit about. The Brave New Weed book and the adventures you took. I went as far as Israel and as close as my own home. Oh boy, okay. that's a little insight. Uh, um, it's a travelogue through the the new expanding sort of amazing world of weed out there. So we we know very little about living in New York State, a very dark state. Wait, well, we know a little, <laughs> lot about it if we live in Brooklyn, actually. Weed is legal in your home. Absolutely. <laughs> your home, you Absolutely. All right, but you said the, the title itself says Adventures into the Uncharted World. Now, what's uncharted? We, do, do, we know everything about this drug, don't That's we? That's what everybody thinks. Ah. That's what I thought before I started. 
Have you ever been to the labs of Hebrew University where they've been researching cannabis since 1964? Well, as a matter of fact, I have been to the labs of Hebrew University mm -hmm. for a very different purpose. And what do you think they study in those labs? In, in the cannabis labs? Yeah. I have no idea. Tell us. They study all of the wellness benefits ah, and yeah. the biochemistry of a plant that's made over uh, uh, made out of over 760 compounds. All right. Hold on. i got to bring in Ted, Rail in, Ted Hammond here for a second. Ted, you edited the Brooklyn Rail. You've smoked a little pot in your day. I plead guilty. Pleads guilty. Okay. Go. Now, Joe just mentioned the, the, I guess, the pharmaceutical benefits, the comfort benefits. I, For the record, I don't smoke pot. I don't. Vince, do you smoke pot? No, sir. So should I be smoking pot? Joe, go first. Should I be smoking pot? Depends on what you want. What do you use to change your consciousness? I, I usually have a little bourbon, sometimes so, a whiskey. So it's a different experience. You're having a more numbing experience, more socially lubricating. Yeah. You may want to have a more internal or a more intimate experience. So I recommend trying some weed. All right, but hold that. on. There's a lot of different types of weed out there. Yeah. Some give you energy, some mellow you out. Yep. Do any of them... This is all news to me. <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah, well, Vin and, Vince and Very I... Very sheltered life. Listen, Very, we had, obviously. you got to get out of Staten Island. <laughs> we Although, maybe the, you don't have to go that far. We had the woman from Babeland we have on, other issues on last week. And uh, we, we learned a lot about the uncharted world of sexuality. Now we're into drugs. So, you know, anything's possible. But Cannabis so, is a plant. Cannabis is a plant. You're, you're right. It has medicinal qualities. What should I, what's the terminology I should use, Joe? I prefer to call it a plant. It's a plant. Okay. And Richard such. Nixon classified it as a drug, and yeah. it got stuck with Nixonian terminology. Nixon. God damn well, what's, the, what's the definition of a drug, though? Isn't this something that alters your, your being in some way, shape, or form? Many, or? Pla many plants do that also. Mm. Mm. I, so I sort of object to it being classified and scheduled as a drug. In the United States, it's scheduled as a Schedule One narcotic. Narcotic. narcotic, which means it's as addictive as heroin and with no, with no medical benefit whatsoever. I object. Okay, but you smoke every day. I do not. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, because you said it's a habit-forming. They, habit they classify it as habit-forming. I was going to say, well, you, you smoke it every day. Well, of course and I smoke it every day. Most of the things the U.S. government says about pot are not true That's also. Okay. Wow. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But first, the big issue for me, though, you've got some pot makes you active, some pot mellows you out. What am I going to like? What, what should I be? What's my entry-level pot is what I'm asking. Given your energy of yeah, today, yeah. I think yeah. you need a little chill, maybe. Okay, so what would that be? A sativa? <laughs> a, no, more of an indica. An indica. Yeah, there yeah. you go. See, I don't even know. Yeah, And then it's the dose. It's how much you use. Okay, how much should I use? I think you should start with three or four hits if really? you're smoking a joint. If you're taking a dab, just a small dab will wait, do wait, wait, Three or four hits. A little hits. dab will do you, Gersh. I had no idea. The pot must be stronger than it was in my college days. You really don't know much, do you? I Where don't. have you been? Well, I've been... Um, you know, Ronald Reagan made pot really strong when he when he started the second war on uh -huh. drugs. Yeah. All the growers went inside, and what did they need to do when you have less space? Make it more potent. Exactly. Yeah, the whiskey guys do that, too. Yeah, they did, mm. exactly. That's how whiskey got so popular. You know, beer was the number one drink in, uh, in America before Prohibition. There you go. So when you prohibit things, you tend to, you know drive a certain other culture. Mm. Mm, very interesting. All right, so Ted, Ted, come in here for a second, Ted. Okay. You're a Brooklynite. Yes, sir. You, your neighbors, in what neighborhood do you live in? Sunset Park. Uh, Sunset Park. There's, everyone's high in Sunset Park, am I right? <laughs> I can't swing a Not cat, but I can't many, swing a dead cat without a high person. Uh, you know, teen, the teens of the neighborhood, perhaps. All right, so what's the attraction of this drug for you, this, this medication, this plant for you, Ted? Oh, an occasional, um, you know, a choice of relaxation, sure. Okay, I, I went to, I've been to Colorado a couple times. A um, couple of times since legalization. Yeah, and I've been, for know, that specific purpose. In, or you when also in went Rome, skiing. When in, when in Denver. Uh, when in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. You well, don't have to go very far. Okay. Brooklyn has a great underground cannabis economy, <laughs> well, as it you may no not, doubt know. It may not be underground for long, because, Joe, as you well know, <laughs> Election Day was a disaster for a lot of Democrats, but for pot-smoking uh, Americans, it was a pretty good day. We had California, Massachusetts, legalizing marijuana for recreational use. What do you think? Is that going to be a big boom in the industry? Well, it's going to be a, yes, California is a big boom. It's 40 million people in the world's sixth largest economy. No Jesus. doubt it's a big boom. But it's not going to have any effect on New York, I don't think, immediately. We have Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, we have uh, medicinal marijuana, which is so restrictive. It's a terrible program. It's a, it's, is anybody it's a even using it? Yeah, there are, and there are 600 licensed doctors in New York State, which is a, you know, a fraction of what there needs to be. It's a really tough program to get into. It's a pain in the neck. There's only a, there's not a handful of dispensers. It's well, not. You say pain in the neck. I mean, in California, you could get a pot, license, pot prescription if you had a pain in the neck. Am I right? 
I have. Yeah, I got friends in California. Like, I'm having trouble sleeping, Doc. Oh, here's a prescription. That makes complete sense. Uh, It's fine by me. It's a lot easier. It's a lot better than Ambien. Wow. And it grows in the ground. Yeah, and it's not addictive. What's the problem? It's cheaper. It grows in the ground. It's not addictive. I mean, I don't know. And it really helps your sleep. The government tells me not to smoke this thing. You're such a good (laughs) citizen. (laughs) I pay my taxes, President Trump. I pay my taxes. All right, so I guess I'm a good citizen. Vince, you've you've never smoked a pot, Vince. I'm not a pot smoker. You have not. Have you consumed marijuana at any time? I might have when I was a little kid, but probably without (laughs) knowing. I might have when I was a little kid. Well, a little kid, like a 16, 17-year-old, but but probably without knowing. Really? Yeah. All right. Somebody blew it in your face? Pot brownies or something (laughs) like that. Oh, you had a pot brownie. Yeah, At least I was told I had it. I I was going to ask Joe about that because I did have a pot brownie once. You poor thing. I was in Amsterdam. And the dosage on that, I mean, I was, you can ask Ben Music, former Brooklyn paper editor, I was so far gone, they had to carry me home. What happened there? You oh, you took too much. You <laughs> over-medicated. Because it was a brownie and it was good. You know, I wish I had brought some edibles from California for you. You can see what they now sell in the dispensary. There are little tins of edibles, and they're marked. This edible, this chocolate-covered cannabis espresso bean, is five milligrams. Uh-huh. You know what to take. Yeah, see, you know the effect. They use the metric system in Amsterdam, so I didn't know what the hell oh, I was no, doing. No, oh yeah, they're really medica- They're really marked. I'm sure. <laughs> no, it was marked. It had you know gibberish no, it on it. It had some Amsterdam ich, ich kind of nedelos. The days of brownies are, are really. That's the old world. Really? Brownies. Why? Because people people want to cut down on their calorie intake. They want to know what they're taking. Uh-huh. You're going to take something without knowing the dose. Uh, I guess. I s- want to say you no. need some. You need a lot of work. <laughs> I need some marijuana. Need I, I got to ask this because, so, growing up, you there was two ways to to get some pot in your system. That was either smoking it or eating a brownie. Like I said, so now we know what the what the active ingredient is in the in the plant. You know several right. of them. We oh. know many of them actually. Okay. Well, We're learning I, more every day. When I went to uh, junior high school and was taught my health class, it was THC. It was. Okay. I don't know. That's what all it, we knew then. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is now. So you tell me they can break this stuff up. But are there other ways to take it? Now you said you could take a dab. I don't know what a dab is. Is that like like a little skull long cut? Between a dab the is a concentrate of the oils. There's no plant matter, and it's mm-hmm. just the oils extracted. So it's super concentrated and very powerful. Mm-hmm. Super. Con- now, how would you take that? You would take it just like. You would vaporize it, uh-huh. or you would inhale it. Vaping. We did that in Murder at the Food Co-op, my hit musical. We had vapes. What about shatter? What's shatter? Shatter is a, s- a similar thing to a dab, only it's baked until it's a, uh, until it's amber colored, and and then it's it's a harder thing. So you just pl- flick a piece off as opposed to it being a sticky oil. You like that? I knew that shatter. Yeah, I've been to Colorado. I'm impressed that you knew that. Yeah. Uh, you ever try it? No, no, I don't know how to take it. How do you even take it? Is it you vape? You would inhale too? that. Yeah, yeah, you would inhale that. Yeah. Wow, vaping and smoking and eating. They're doing what the kids are doing today. Huh. Tried to sound like an old man there. That, is sad. that was a right. sad statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But now the biggest question, Joe, and it's the toughest one. Everybody's going to be smoking pot in a few years. Everybody Every- already smokes pot. All right, all these people. Only you two are Can the only <laughs> two people I've ever met who have never smoked pot. Can Vince and I make some money off of this? That's really what I want to know. I mean, what are you thinking? Well, I'm th- no, not in the actual selling of the of the marijuana or the plant. I'm saying we're journalists. You're a journalist. You've made some money. Right I haven't book. made much yet. All right. Well, my book's only we, out for a month. We need to put our heads together, get in a white room somewhere with dark curtains at the station, and figure out how we're going to make some money you on this. Have any this. skills? No, I'm a journalist. I don't have any skills. That's no your skills. problem. No exactly. Well, what do you, Vince? What do you think? Can we do something? Can here? you bake? I can bake. If you give me the right dosage, I can bake. There you go. Maybe you're going to bake. Hey, maybe we make a pot brownie no. edible. And you call it a edible. delicious edible. Yeah, not a, a pot brownie. Like you wanted like a little truffle? Like pot I like, truffle. I have some beautiful ones. You should have yeah, told me you want No, I didn't know you guys for were, the record, were so virginal. T- now, we've had, we've had drinks on the show, but we haven't had weed. Ted, for the record, I want you to know I sent Joe Dolce an email, which is probably going to come back to haunt me under President Trump, that said, Joe, please bring as much marijuana as you can for the half-hour segment. He did. And you brought nothing. <laughs> no, that's not true. I oh, he brought something. some. Uh-oh. Here yeah. we go. All right, Johnny, can you show? What, what, what do we got here? It's well, radio. I just brought an extraordinary strain. Oh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> it's called red Congolese. And I would like you to, to have a sniff of it. Oh, we got to sniff that. Just here, to right. see in the bag, okay? It's in a stink sack, so you can't smell Wait, it. Wait, am I going to get high just smelling it? You're going to have a different experience from any. If you haven't smoked weed in a long time, you're going to have an extraordinary experience inhaling oh. that. <laughs> Richard, what happened? Vince? Oh, man. Here we go. It's going on. The, Johnny, you got this? Whoa. Well, do you like in it? In a white room. How do you like it? It, it? it smells great. What does it smell like? A little oregano? Yeah, it's no. oregano. Thing. No, let me smell like smell, I'm smelling no, like... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> hey, I'm smelling the microphone now. I'm very confused. <laughs> 
It's got a mix of pine, what a little lavender, a little of the back Rosemary? note. Some a little of the back note of a black pepper. It smells like some wacky tea that my wife tries to serve me. In a white room. There's a reason it has those smells, and they're called terpenes. Oh, wait, Johnny, okay. Johnny wants some. Oh, Johnny Hold wants on, Johnny, have a whiff. Johnny. Terpenes are pharmaceutical-grade smell molecules. Okay. That's why pot is so potent. Uh, the smell of it is so potent. Right. Because of these pharmaceutical-grade smell molecules. So we didn't know that. Can you actually get high from sniffing that? Is that? Oh God, that is another pathetic question. <laughs> I'm asking the tough I mean, it's just pathetic. Well, tell me the answer. Well, we're high now. You should really not be hosting the show. <laughs> well, we don't usually talk about you. pot on the show. Why? We're just starting. You're going to be our pot column. This is it. Yes, we'll Please. bring you in every week. I mean, why are you waiting? There's so, so much to learn. You, you know, have you, you still read haven't book? answered my question. <laughs> Can you get high from sniffing a, <laughs> yeah. a, a flower? I have no idea. Of course not. Well, well because but bees do. Sometimes I, you know, I smell a flower and I, f I, f I feel great. No, the active <laughs> ingredients in cannabis mm -hmm. are either ingested, which takes an hour and a half, or mm -hmm. heated and then smoked, which so happens immediately. It has to get into your bloodstream. Uh, if it's e if you're eating it, it goes through the stomach yeah. first, yes, no, and then if the you're eating it, yes, and you're inhaling it, yes, it goes into the bloodstream. Wow, so we are newbies. You right. are, you are, you really should have had me on. You should have me on every week. Yeah, we'll do. You it. have so much we, to learn. I got another. I got another tough question about the smoke itself. Now, yes. when I, you mm. know, smoking obviously cigarettes very bad for you. Very now, bad. Is it is smoking weed different? Yes, is there it's unbelievably different. There's a gentleman called Dr. Donald Tashkin who's in his 70s who's been researching the effects of cannabis on the lungs for over 40 years. Okay. There is, it's actually beneficial to the lungs because of the high anti-inflammatory qualities in weed. There's never been a correlation between any lung disease and cannabis smoke, which is very odd. I think if you smoke a lot, you're going to have the ash and those problems, mm -hmm. which cause coughing and you know people spitting and un unpleasant things. But you have mm -hmm. to smoke a lot of that. But now in the world of vaporizing, you don't need to smoke anything. Mm. You can just have pure inhaled oils. Mm. My, just so you know, my girlfriend, who is not a pot fan, uh, just texted me, are you guys lighting up? Because she knows we drink on the show a lot. For the record... We're not lighting up. We're not yeah. lighting up. For the record, if there's any DEA agents, we don't need a raid. <laughs> but also, this is journalism. So if I wanted to light up, Joe, I would light up. Well, it's journalism. I, I would help you in that okay. if you wanted to, except I wouldn't be very good at talking. How would you be? <laughs> I, we don't know. We don't know what would happen. You'd probably be drooling. So it's an experiment well, it that we are willing to take. <laughs> it wouldn't be illegal to light up. Right? No, not at all. Right. I think we would just be. Well, we would be whatever decriminalized action. No, no, no. Is, we right? would be we would be violating the smoke-free smoke air act oh, of, that the, you would be. of the building. Of so, the yes. smoke. so we got it. But he's saying this smoke is harmless. We should be able to do it. I said that the vapor is harmless. Well, tell the city council that. Well, we you said the smoke was harmless. Ho too. Said well, I said it's not going to cause pulmonary disease. Okay. Well, we'd be doing everybody a favor if we lit up. They'd all be in here. You'd <laughs> have thirty people sitting in this tiny room. How much pot uh, you got in that bag? A, a, a small amount, under the under, well under the legal limit. All right. If you're joining us right now, you are listening to Joe Dolce, author of Brave New Weed, Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis, and Ted Ham, former editor of the Brooklyn Rail, who's also here with his book about Ted Douglas, not Ted Douglas, Frederick Douglas Did you Brooklyn. light up or not? I did not. we got to pay a couple of bills here, guys, so just bear with us, and I'm going to ask the tough question right now. Johnny, when was the last time you saw a quality dentist who was truly affordable? Anybody? Anybody in the room see a dentist who was truly affordable? Truly, truly affordable. As opposed to falsely affordable? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. See, it's silence. It's crickets over here. If your answer is crickets, it's time to call Dr. Joseph Lichter. You want to know why? Invisalign. You guys know about Invisalign. It's that adult braces behind the teeth. Usually cost $5,000. No. Lichter gives it to you for $4,000. That's a savings of somewhere in the area of $1,000. Porcelain veneers, $1,000 at those fancy Brooklyn Heights dentists. Yep. Lichter, $675. So that Good saves too. you something. Yep. And that Zoom teeth whitening system at Lichter, three ninety-five. Now you don't pick a dentist just because of price, because that's silly. You pick him because he's got a state-of-the-art facility out there in Midwood. It's at four twenty Avenue P, between East Fourteenth and Fifteenth in Midwood. Visit him online at josephlichterdds.com or call him. Set up an appointment seven one eight three three nine seven eight seven eight. That's Joseph Lichter, DDS. Com. Yeah, and after you get your teeth uh, nice and clean, nice and fixed up, you want to head over to Atlas Steakhouse oh, because yeah. Atlas Steakhouse offers you a unique dining experience. First, 
You choose your steak, and every cut is aged to tender perfection on site. Then you pair it with a vintage from their extensive wine list, or with an Atlas Steakhouse signature cocktail. Gersh, what do you like? I love that Godfather. Oh, it's a good drink. Look, you can enjoy a succulent appetizer as their master chef crafts your choice cut as you desire. And when for, your main course arrives... For the record, Joe Dolce, Atlas Steak does not serve edibles. That you, they're still only on cocktails, so you cannot get a marijuana cigarette at, at Atlas Steak. They no, would huh? sell more steaks if they did. Now, <laughs> let me ask you, though. I, I will ask you this. Are you taking that edible or eating that edible before or after the meal? It doesn't have any effect. Uh, the food you eat doesn't have any effect on it. It takes about an hour and a half to kick in. So mm. it depends on if you want to giggle during dinner or after dinner. Yeah, so at Atlas place. Steak, you're always giggling because it's a fun place to be. <laughs> All right, and when your main course arrives, of course, you will understand why at Atlas Steakhouse, they always offer you a cut above the rest. Atlas Steakhouse, 943 Coney Island Avenue. You can visit them online at Atlas Steak. A death count. Now listen, we talked about a dentist. We talked about teeth. What happens when you're done with the dentist and you're done with the steak? You're getting older. Joe, you know what I'm talking about. You look great. For the record, Joe Dolce looks great. And Fantastic. you don't look a day over 30. Seriously. And I know you're in your 50s, <laughs> am I right? Yes, you are. All right, well, so you're in your 50s. And Ted, I'm thinking you're 45. I uh, just turned 50. He just turned 50. So this is why we need Village Care Max. You know what Village Care Max is? It's a Medicaid-managed long-term plan that helps you stay at home in, and in your community. So, like, when you get old, you're thinking, oh, my God, i got to go into an old-age home. i got to go. No. You, you call Village Care Max. They, they sick a team of healthcare professionals on you. They work with your doctor. They help set up appointments. They organize your pills, your medical care. They monitor everything. And they keep you in your home, which is what you want. Right, where you can happily, you know, smoke, smoke pot, read exactly. and, and read books about Frederick uh, Douglass. There you go. So working together, Village Care Max will do that. And there's no extra cost. It's a Medicaid-managed long-term plan. So you want to know more, you call 800-469-6292 or you visit them, villagecaremax.org. Village Care Max for the life you want to live. It's that life, right? Well, I mean... For Joe Dolce, it's that life plus a little marijuana. Am I right? You know, when I was in Israel, I visited um, a senior home for folks with dementia and uh, PTSD, basically, mm -hmm. elders. Mm -hmm. um, they have the largest state-sponsored medical cannabis program in the world. There's over 20,000 people in it. Wow. Is it good? Is it good marijuana? It's good. Yes, it's very good. Because people complain about our federal, the very, very, very small federal marijuana program. It's well, it's lousy. a tiny program. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 simply been expanded, recently been expanded, but it's very bad. And from what I understand, the quality is very poor. When they did an inspection of it a couple of years ago, they found lots of seeds and Ugh. twigs. And, oh, no. I mean, I'm not paying for that. You don't want to. No, you not. are paying for it because it's from your tax no, but dollars. When I get a dime bag, it better not have seeds. Am I right? It's called an eighth. Oh. Yeah, you <laughs> See, don't I buy don't dime bags we anymore. To, uh, well, All right, I got to bring in Ted Ham. Okay. Because he's been waiting patiently, smoking a doobie. Are you smoking a doobie? <laughs> I can't see. He's, we're on radio. No, Ted Ham no, is sir. former editor of the Brooklyn Rail, which was a magazine I always liked. I, I always thought the articles were a little long, but that's okay because you're a magazine. Yeah, it's known that. as long-form uh, journalism. Well, yeah, long-form journalism. Well, what's the future in that? Anyway, we'll find <laughs> out. <laughs> but anyway, Ted, you're not, the, you're not editing that magazine anymore. Now you got a book out. It's a collection of Frederick Douglass's speeches from Brooklyn. It's called Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn, yes, which sir. you know what you're getting with that book. Tell us right off the bat, what am I getting with that book? <laughs> well, it's a collection of speeches uh, that he gave at various leading Brooklyn institutions, some very close to here, uh, including what's now an NYU building here in, in Metrotech across the mm -hmm, plaza there. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a church, the uh, Bridge Street AME, which oh. is now since relocated to Bedsty, but one of his uh, speeches in the book is from that location, uh, stone's throw from where we are right now. Uh, another is from Plymouth Church. Two are from BAM uh, in its original location on Montague Street over there by Brooklyn Hall, uh, mm. Brooklyn Borough Hall. Huh. So um, yes, he was in and around this neighborhood. Many of his key allies were in and around this neighborhood, um, and he has a, he had a deep attachment to Brooklyn that most people don't. Uh, yeah, but I got I got to cut you short that because you're like a deep attachment to Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's known as a big abolitionist headquarters. Whatever we fought the good fight. You know what? Brooklyn was not so great if you were a black man in the 1830s. Am I right? Correct. Right. It was full of uh, pro-slavery mm -hmm. um, Southerners, yeah. include, and as well as pro-slavery Northerners. So the, the, it was a port town that was dependent on the um, trading the goods of Southern slavery. So That's yes, exactly right. Just like the counterparts across the water. And I'm going to go even further. 
You're at you're on Brooklyn Paper Radio, not Brooklyn Eagle, by the way. Okay. But the Brooklyn Eagle, from I learned this from your book, the Brooklyn Eagle was a freaking pro-slavery paper, a Democrat paper. Am I right? Oh yeah. The, uh, well, except when Whitman was. Yeah. Well, Whitman's a good guy. Well, let's forget about Whitman. But the Brooklyn Eagle, if it was up to them. We would have, we'd still have slavery. Sure. Well, the part of, so what the book does is collect the speeches that Douglas was giving at these various locations, but then also uh, deli- pre- presents the newspaper accounts from the Brooklyn Eagle, and the, it was full of almost uh, over-the-top, ridiculous, racist ridicule yeah. of Frederick Douglass. And so you'd be surprised to see some of the, the characterizations that, that turn up there. And, and so little has changed with the Brooklyn Eagle, by the way. Well, come on. Uh, no, I'm, no I look, we're not the Brooklyn Eagle, and I can say whatever I need to say about that lousy they, paper they, across the bay. They were quite upset when a white woman ran up to Frederick Douglass after his speech at Plymouth Church and planted a kiss on his cheek. Wow. Um, so, you know. That was daring even in those days, oh, right? For, mo- for certain, yes. Yeah. Uh, you, you do know. that down south. What do they say can, about it? Well, they were just um, aghast uh, that this was that this would happen in, in, in Brooklyn. I mean, what Gersh is saying is true. The, the, the black population in Brooklyn was quite small. Um, the abolitionists were vocal, but but small in number. Uh, so it wasn't a safe place to be an, uh, an abolitionist. So, and this, but this where, where we are in downtown Brooklyn here is the heart was the heart of black Brooklyn at the time, um, as it is not far from here these days. Well, yeah, and, and there's a stop on the Underground Railroad on right there on Duffield Street. Yeah. We, the Brooklyn paper, not the Brooklyn Eagle, by the way, the Brooklyn paper fought to save that location. We tried, we tried our best. Yes. Well, I think we, did we fail? Um, I think we failed. All right, yeah. well, uh, Ted, I'm finding out we failed. So we can't win okay. it. We can't win them all. Now, i got to ask the question that Joe is dying to ask, but Joe, I'm going to cut you off. So, Frederick Douglass, did he ever ingest marijuana? He was all over the world, that guy. <laughs> Had he ever that, been to Israel? <laughs> I do not. Uh, well, <laughs> now we're getting into some an- <laughs> anachronisms. So he probably <laughs> didn't because no one knew what marijuana, that word, was okay. in the 1800s. Well, if they ha- was hemp? I mean, it was hemp oil right. or cannabis oil, and right. it was liquid, and it came in a brown bottle. Well, what'd you do with it? You used it to cure things like neuralgia, uh-huh. melancholia, insomnia. For the insomnia. record, he's making air quotes. He's making yeah. air quotes. You, that's what they were called, old-fashioned words um, uh-huh. for sleep, what we would call insomnia, pain, chronic pain, neuropathic pain. Wow. You know, the same basic illnesses, but it all came as a liquid. It didn't come as a in the plant form. But it, but it obviously grew as a plant, so somebody was processing that. Yeah, doctors. Doctors, doctors sold it out of their out, out of their own offices. So it doc- was, doctors would help themselves to their crop. It was right? in the American pharmacopoeia until 1942. It was considered a medicine until 1942. Well, mm-hmm. and of course, if you look at the newspapers like the Brooklyn Eagle from that era, they're all full of uh, ads for various elixirs and potions of, of all kinds, and I'm sure some of them can. Eli Lilly made hemp oil. Okay. They deny it today, but we have the evidence of it because. Wait, why photograph. would they deny that? You tell me, man. Eli Lilly, wow. They didn't hire my father. My father worked for Hoffman LaRoche, just for the record. Just just for the record. Full disclosure. All right, so when when <laughs> was the last time, uh, we talked about this in the green, we'll bring it up again. When was the last time Frederick, Frederick Douglass was in Brooklyn? Mm. What did he talk about? And most importantly, what did they have for dinner? <laughs> and you, where did he eat? Uh, well, uh, he spoke at a Lincoln Day dinner at uh, the Union League Do we still club. celebrate Lincoln Day? Is that still around? Well, is it his birthday? President's Day, but okay, they fold it in. But uh, So it was in February of 1893, two years before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was more or less his victory lap speech, speaking to a, a banquet uh, room full of fellow Republicans mm-hmm. uh, of that era, who were they, you know, Link, the party of Lincoln, and speaking about his favorite figure, uh, a, a, one of his favorite figures, Abraham Lincoln. Um, so he gives a great speech and also revels in the uh, attention he's getting from the gathered in, uh, leading Republicans in there, mm. all of whom you can assume look like uh, William Howard Taft. Yeah, um, a bit, a bit be- heavy back then. Yes, well, <laughs> because the, di- the banquet began with a 10-course dinner uh, that uh, kicked off with some Blue Point oysters. So nice. uh, you can imagine that they were well-fed before their, after their esteemed after-dinner guest stood up to address them and speak about... Um, uh, his friend Lincoln. It's weird to think about Frederick Douglass. I've been a fan of Frederick Douglass for a long time because, of, and you you allude to this in your book, he, this guy had like this moral authority, this wit, this intelligence, and a little bit of this melancholy. Mm-hmm. Is there any figure on the American stage today who has that combination that historians will look at 300 years from now and say that was the guy or woman? That was the one. Hmm. 
Good question. That's I a mean, tough question. He is a wow. uh, unique. He is unique in in many. His skill set uh, as a writer is quite impressive. Uh, and as you mentioned, the wit, but the poetry. Uh, there's his descriptions of uh, Abraham Lincoln. I can. I'm happy to read you a short one if you'd like. I'd like to hear it. Yeah, I go. like okay. Lincoln. That's the real party of Lincoln right there. Okay, this was this one was from uh, his talk at BAM in 1866. Which and this is not a poem. I just want to go on the record. <laughs> <laughs> we had a poet on last week, yeah. Ed. Which generated a lot of um, uh, controversy because the board of directors of BAM was trying to keep him from speaking. Um, and that was... Uh, because of his race? Yes, well, it's because he, they knew he was going to uh, attack Andrew Johnson. So they used they used, they said it was because of his race, which w really didn't make any sense because he had spoken there once before. But they were really worried about the fact that he was going to attack Andrew Johnson. Wait, who liked Johnson? Nobody liked Johnson. Well, this was early into the, his administration, and so they Henry Ward Beecher and others were sort of trying to curry favor huh. with Johnson. So okay. they weren't yet they hadn't yet turned on him. Okay, so this is what he um, says in, so he's basically doing what he often did, uh, which was um, hold up uh, Abraham Lincoln as a, as a revered figure in order to uh, diminish Andrew Johnson. So okay. just give me a second while I find it here. Well, so Bam knew this was coming. Well, they, they, yeah, they knew this was coming. They tried to deter it, and uh, it didn't really right. um, work out. Drop the mic. Okay. Um, okay, so one thing, this is Frederick Douglass, one that he told an uh, enthusiastic crowd at BAM, one thing about Abraham Lincoln will always make him dear to the struggles for fame. He was indebted to himself for himself, largely the architect of his own fortune. So far as a man can be, he was a self-made man, a worker, a toiler, the captain of a flat boat, a raftsman, a worker in wood, in iron, on the soil. A man who took life at, at the roughest with brave hands, grappled with it, and conquered. A man who traveled far, but made the road on which he traveled. Who ascended high, but built the ladder on which he climbed. Flung aboard, as it were, in the midnight storm, and left without oars or life preservers, he swam in safety to shore, where other men would have despaired and gone down. Hmm. Wow. Applause. And that's, that, that was the whole speech? No, that was just an no, excerpt. Just a <laughs> yeah, back then they would give these three-hour speeches. That's well, fantastic. So well, that's a ten-course he's, meal. He's a, he's, he was a poet, and in his yeah. in his in, in his in his own way, um, in the way he rhapsodized figures, including not just Abraham Lincoln, but John Brown. Um, so that's he's a central figure in the story. What was the well, source of his melancholy, other than slavery? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but that was sad. good. Could be uh, the sad. Well, mel melancholy was a word that <laughs> that Gersh used. So, uh, yeah, you know, he was a slave. But what what's he so upset about? <laughs> Well, yeah, three squares a day. <laughs> he was uh, no. He was um, you know he 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 was attuned to the struggles of not and not just of um, freed slaves or slaves trying to be, become free, but also uh, women and you know he was a key ally of women's suffrage. He was um, one of the earliest uh, voices in of sympathy for the plight of Asian. Uh, of Chinese um, immigrants coming into the country during, particularly after World, the Civil War, uh, and so on. So he was, uh, you know, quite quite far far sighted in his, um, you know, vision of, a, of of multicultural freedom. I guess you might call it. Wow, I didn't mean to suggest that Frederick Douglass is a depressed guy. I just said he had a he had a, a a moral heft about him. Sure. You know, and and that can lead to one feeling sad about all your other friends and and family in slavery. That was the idea, I think. I mean, yeah. That's, you know, I mean, it's an interesting idea. He, but I mean, I think of melancholy as also sort of this homesick yeah. sort of feeling that the, you know he never quite he never wanted to go back to Baltimore or uh, back into slavery. Obviously, so I was just I was thinking because so few public figures today project melancholy. Mm. They're all so optimistic all the time. Yes. You know, and it's like, it's bullshit, really. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, complete crap. We, I mean, we all understand. The season, you, know, you know, we've just lived through this marathon political season. So, uh, you know, nothing else you can say about Trump. He's not full of that sort of, I mean, but he is, but I guess, I guess he was full of nostalgia as well, right? Well, he's Make been, a, he did run a somewhat pessimistic campaign. So, Joe, that, that doesn't speak to what you were talking about, but because no. it wasn't, it wasn't an optimistic campaign, but the last American president who dared to say that we were in a bit of a malaise, uh, Jimmy Carter didn't get reelected. So that tells you what that is. I don't think anything has changed on that. No, but uh, I think it's interesting that everyone's afraid to sort of say, I'm in a funk. Yeah. I don't feel optimistic today. <laughs> I feel like maybe life is getting me down a bit. I yeah. kind of feel that way right maybe now. Maybe that nuclear war, you know, is sort of a bummer. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm in a little climate bit. Climate change is really getting me down. I'm in a little bit of a funk right now, Gersh. You're in a funk. Are what you hungry? Right now. 
You hungry for an edible? Yeah, maybe. Are you trying to set up an ad or something? Uh, no. He's like, I'm in a little bit of a funk. And that reminds me of our advertising. No, no, I don't think he's doing that. I think, you, a, I think you want something. With starting with Blue Point Oysters. Yeah, oh. No, that'd be nice. Now, Ted, you'll get a kick out of this. We Every time we had a new reporter at the Brooklyn paper, we would tell them to do an article w- about something on Douglas Street, which is right here down the road here in Brooklyn, okay. downtown Brooklyn, America's downtown. And if they spelled it without the second S... They're fired because it's not it's not named after Stephen Douglas. It's Out Frederick Douglas. Out the door. Out the door. We didn't even hire him. Was that too harsh? Um, are you absolutely certain it's named after Frederick Douglas? D- Douglas Street here? Yeah. Well, I'm not 100% certain, but it's the same spelling as Frederick Douglas, not Stephen Douglas. I, because I believe I, when I was doing research on the book, I found reference to Douglas Street that ex- in the 19th century. So I don't, I don't think it was named after Douglas. Wow, that's... That's, that's now I feel, I feel really bad. But it is spelled the same <laughs> way. It's spelled, fired it, all those people for no reason. Unusu- and it is an unusual spelling. That could come back to haunt us. And it's not his actual uh, uh, original name. Correct, correct. But when did he pick up the Douglas name? I know it wasn't his birth name. It was after he came to New York City and then traveled to New Bedford um, and in, in and around uh, when he was in Massachusetts in that right, right, right around 1840, so in his, in his early 20s. Did they call Massachusetts Taxachusetts back then, too? <laughs> I don't know, but it was... Uh, the stronghold, actually, of abolition. Uh, there you go. So Maybe they did. The so it wasn't necessarily filled with mass holes. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Correct. Yeah, no. Uh, Vince, Vince is not a fan of Boston, uh, probably for baseball t- reasons. No, I, I don't like the team. I love the ballpark. Oh, everybody does. Come on. All right. We, we got to get out. Baseball! Thank you. Thank you there, Johnny. Last question about Douglas for a second, because I was very impressed to learn this from your book, uh, Ted. Fre- Te- Frederick Douglass also ran a newspaper. And we're newspaper men. Was sure. he a good editor or was he a bit of a jerk editor like me and Vince? <laughs> I, I, Firing people <laughs> for spelling Frederick <laughs> Douglass' name wrong. You spelled my name like Stephen Douglas. You're fired. Seemed like a pretty uh, receptive editor to people. I mean, he had a lot of correspondence based here in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, school teacher, uh, principal from Weeksville named Ethiop. No, went, went, mm-hmm. went by the pen name Ethiop. Ethiop, yeah. Um, and a handful of others. So he actually edited four publications uh, over the course of his the mid, mid-career. Um, well, was he, was he a hands-on connect- editor? And he was connected to a couple of publications that were uh, had strong Brooklyn ties, too. I spelled that out in the introduction. There's one called the Ram's Horn, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's one called the Anglo-African um, that he had close connections to. And th- that, that sort of was a mix of John Brown's uh, allies as well. So there's some good stuff that people might... But do we do we have any record of whether he was like what kind of editor was he was like he would get copy and he would just like tear it up <laughs> or like you know get me rewrite was he a, was a gum chewing kind of guy I think from the fifties uh, sort of hands off editor because he would have this correspondence write letters and then he would basically just publish the letters or d- a dispatch oh. from other cities oh, Brooklyn okay. and, and other cities too. so he let himself off the hook he Cleveland just like, and places like that sure yeah I'll just put a dateline on it and let it run. How'd you get into Frederick Douglass? Like, how do you end up writing a writing a book about it or studying him? What what was so fascinating uh, about him? Well, to you, uh, because I was the editor of the Rail for quite a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, I got I developed a strong interest in Brooklyn history. So, and I teach New York City history. So I'm you know passionate about the issues. And then I just happened to just come across his name in the Brooklyn Eagle archive, which is available. Enti- the entire Online, archive yeah. is available through the Brooklyn Public Library. So. Yep. Um, pl- poking in his name, I came across these, cu- these couple of great speeches and just sort of t- took it from there. So You know what I do with that Brooklyn Eagle Archive, Gersh? What do you do with it, Vince? I look up all my old relatives to see if they were ever arrested. Really? That's what you do with it? Because we're Italian. Yeah. I, it I, can I, happen. <laughs> I, we should put our archive online. It's about time. What are, our archive's like 40 years old. By the way, I didn't find anyone. You didn't ask if I found well, I don't care. No that, it is 40 years. Well, that, that fills a gap, right? Because the, arc, the eagle ends in the mid-50s. So that's exactly right. And that's a hard area to, uh, or period to research, really. I'm telling you, if, if, if anybody on the, at the Brooklyn Public Lira- Library can hear the sound of my voice, call us right now, and we'll give you the archive. We won't give it to you. We're going to sell it to you. But we right. got to sell it. We, we got to make some we money. Make some money we got to make some of money off the content. Yeah. All right. Fair that's enough. That's the way the uh, industry's going. I got to bring in Joe Dolce for a second again. As you know, he wrote Brave New Weed, the new book out about the adventures into the uncharted world of cannabis. I'm going to say the title a lot, Joe. We're Keep try saying to, it. Keep try to sell it. some books. But Joe, you you did examine the history of marijuana as well. Like w- back in Douglas's day, you're saying people tinctured it themselves with all that. Yeah, I look back to uh, really to the Sanskrits. I mean, I looked way back. I wanted to see how long it's been on planet Earth, and it's been on planet Earth longer than man. Basically. Where does it grow? Um, well, maybe weed will be smoking you know us started? Someday. You know where they think it started? Yeah, right. that's In what I want. In Kazakhstan, home of Borat. 
Interesting. Oh. Interesting. Also, That's a real place. It's a real no, place. No, Kazakhstan wow. is Borat. Is what not happened here. is you, you were asking about Indic and Sativa. So one set of seeds went to the east, into the Hindus, and they became the Indicas, which are the smaller plants, closer to the ground and more productive. The other ones went to the uh, to the west, into Africa, to North Africa, where it's sunny. And those plants grow 14, 16 feet high, very gangly. Those are the Sativa varieties. Interesting. It's, it's, it had a different migration pattern than humans themselves. No basically, out of this, no, basically the same pattern. But you said this went into Africa. Through the Silk Route. Uh, through the Silk Route. Right? Fair enough. Gersh. Silk Road, Gersh, come on. Your history, your geography. Well, I know a little bit about the Silk Route. Follow the Silk Route. I always do. And then when the slaves came to the Americas. They didn't come of their own volition, by the way, for the record. <laughs> they brought the seeds with them. That was smart. That was, was smart move. What else Skull could they carry? Thinking. Wow. Wait, the slaves brought marijuana to the New World? Ha yes, of course. That's weird. Why? I don't know, because you think of like the Incas smoking marijuana, don't you? Not really. No? No, they were using other they had cocoa wonderful leaves. plants. Cocoa yeah, leaves, they had yeah. other wonderful plants. That's your next book? Which, by the way, why were all those plants eliminated? Why did the, the conquistadors came? They wanted one god. Mm. And everybody who used plant gods and plant healers, they wanted to get rid of them. Ah. And they did, very effectively. Except so they the, didn't get rid of the plants. The first war on drugs was the conquistadors. I would say, yeah, that's exactly right. Wow. Hmm. I did not know that. See <laughs> <laughs> all the interesting things you could learn if you read okay, Bra what, Brave New Weed? But what's the high in Brave New Weed Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis? <laughs> uh, but Joe, what was the high, I don't want to say high, what was, the, what was the peak time, what was the golden age of marijuana in America? We're living in it right We're now. We're living in it right now, this golden right age. Right this is now. it. Right wow, now. that's a golden age. Right now. We are the, North America is probably the most productive place, mm -hmm. um, doing the most interesting things with strains. And with concentrates, making really interesting concentrates and also exploring the medical benefits of it. We're a little behind the Israelis in terms of research, but in terms of getting it into the hands of people, we, California, we grow more weed in California than all of North America combined. Wow. Is big tobacco getting into, going to become big marijuana? Not yet. It's going to depend on federal legalization. And this is a super complicated area because there's all sorts of obstacles in the way of that. Well, I one think of them is President Trump, I'd imagine. We don't know. We don't know. We he really don't know. Did he know. talk about marijuana at all during the campaign? Very little. I think one of the bigger obstacles is Attorney General Giuliani. Don't keep. Oh, I'm don't sorry. I'm that. sorry, but that's the nightmare we're faced with. I'm Everybody sorry. Everybody keeps saying Attorney General yeah. Giuliani. Well, look at him. Well, look he's at been him. at Trump's side the whole time. I'm not saying he's not going to get a job, but he's not. Well, look, we can get into that a million times. Well, we'll you talk you, about can, you can keep being hopeful, but it's either going to be him or, or Attorney General Chris Christie, God forbid. You know, all these guys are just not going to be helpful. But Trump is interesting problem because he's pro-business mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you're looking at the next big boom economy sure. in the U.S. Nothing else. This is it. And it's homemade in America. Well, fair enough. It's a, it's a, you won't even have to put a tariff on it. You won't be able to say you're taking our jobs to Mexico because we're growing it right it's here. It's a job creator. It's a job creator. It's a yeah. huge job creator. And Enormous. It, and then you can and smoke tax, some. And by the way, taxable revenue. And then you smoke some and you get more ideas for more businesses, right? That's what you guys are doing. You're getting all the, you're entrepreneurs. Well, they're not right? taxing my weed because then we're going to have a, we're going to have a Whiskey weed rebellion. Weed rebellion. <laughs> They are going to tax your weed. You're going to pay for the privilege of going into a dispensary and being able to buy it. All right. How much, Joe, I don't even know. How much does a joint cost nowadays? Oh, on the street. Depends on where you're buying it. On the street. In California, a, a, a roll, a yeah. single roll is about, what, six to eight bucks, depending on what you're buying. You could buy crap weed and it costs nothing, or you buy excellent sun-grown, organic-grown cannabis from the Free humble, range? Free range? Not free range, but organic and sun-grown from the, from the Emerald Triangle in California, and you're paying a lot. All right, but and the by bag, the way, it's worth it. The bag you showed us, which for the record, Johnny's going to put a picture. It was an eighth. An eighth. Yeah. How much does that cost? $65. And that, that's like how many joints is that? I have no idea. What do you, if we broke it up right now. I don't now, roll joints anymore. You're going to eat it. You're vaping? No, no, no. I vape. Yeah, okay. I vape or, or, I, or I use a bowl. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a significant. It's today. The thing is, though, you don't, you don't smoke a joint anymore, Gersh. You don't? No, it's too powerful. You smoke less. You want to smoke a little. Uh, like a little hit, you say. You take a couple hits. We call it microdosing. You take a little. You stop. You wait a little while. If you want more, you take more. Otherwise, you just enjoy that plateau. Mic microdosing. Ted, hey, where, where Ted. are you on? I got to ask this. Where are you on uh, weed and driving? Ooh. Not really pro. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, for, personally, my own experiences with weed and driving are I feel like grandma. 
because mm-hmm. I hate it. There's too much stimulation yeah, coming yeah. at me. I want to drive as slowly as actually I want to get out of the car and take a taxi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you so don't I don't really think it's a good idea for me personally. And I, I really I don't want anybody whose lives are put in danger yeah. like alcohol. Right. It's exactly no, for the record. Okay, I'm, so it is I'm all for response. No, okay. it has nothing to do with alcohol, but using substances and t- and affecting other people, we have to be mindful and respectful. For, okay. for the record, kids, if Come you're on. listening, first of all, you shouldn't be smoking if you're a kid. Second, don't drive and, and smoke. Absolutely. Yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. No, I, I, I like to care because I care about the kids. I think you shouldn't be able to smoke regular cigarettes while you're driving, by the way. <laughs> you That's shouldn't be able to listen to like regular about those that. ashtrays. I've always wondered about that because it is distracting. We had we had a situation once. One of our uh, ad sales reps, Laura Cangiano. Love her. Comes in the other day and she says to me, look, you know, my, uh, my car went on fire. I'm like, what happened? What happened? And she was like, well, I was smoking a cigarette, and I had the, and I went to throw the cigarette out of the car. Which, back in the car. Right. So, of course, the <laughs> back window's open. Now, she's a newspaper, you know, advertising salesperson. So what does she have in the back seat? Newspaper. Which is basically kindling. Right. So she threw the cigarette out, comes back in the back seat. Now she's driving. All of a sudden, she's like, holy, I got to pull over. She pulls over. The car's on fire. She's trying to get out. And now, that's it. The car's destroyed. She loses the car. And so I said to her, I just looked her straight in the eye. I said, you know what? That cigarette was so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> well, nowadays it's hard to get a cigarette. There you go. Right. All right, we got to pay a couple of bills, and we're going to come back. As you, if you're just joining us, you've missed an incredibly high show. It's Joe Dolce, former editor in chief of Details. He's got his new book, Brave New Weed: Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis. We got Ted Ham, former editor of the Brooklyn Rail, and his new book, Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn, soon to be a musical. No question about it. We got to just pay a couple of bills, and we're going to come back and just finish up with them. First. How does a bastard orphan? Anyway, uh, look, we talked about this before. The guys in this room, the average age of the guys in this room is dead. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> and I'm the oldest among them. So I'm thinking about Village Care Max. Why? Because it's a Medicaid-managed long-term plan that helps me stay at home and in my community. And my community is Windsor Terrace. So I want to stay there as long as I can. It's a it's a naturally occurring uh, senior community. Yeah, it's a NORC. A, yeah. a, so Village Care Max is not like a doctor. No, it's a it's a team of healthcare professionals that work with your doctor. They work with your landlord. They work with your pharmacist to put together a plan so that all of your healthcare needs are being met, and you can stay in your home and in your community. They're going to talk to your family. They're going to get the best healthcare options. And the best of all, it's not any more expensive because it's part of your Medicaid already. So you want to know more? You don't listen to me, because what am I? I'm 50. 800-469-6292, or go to villagecaremax.org and listen to the slogan, because I'm only going to say it once. Village Care Max, for the life you want to live. Smoke a little weed, get the munchies, head on over to Atlas Steakhouse, where you can cut, dine, a cut above the rest. Select your premium cut, aged on-site for optimal texture and taste. Enjoy delicious vintage wines, expertly mixed cocktails, and signature appetizers while Atlas Steakhouse crafts your choice cut into a custom culinary masterpiece. You can complete your dining experience with an exquisite signature dessert, and you will understand that Atlas Steakhouse, you always dine a cut above the rest. Atlas Steakhouse, 943 Coney Island Avenue, beautiful Ditmas Park up-and-coming Dittmas Park. You can find them online always at atlassteak.com. You cannot go to atlassteak dot 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 unless you have good teeth. And I don't like paying a lot. Good choppers, good choppers. Vince knows I'm one of the cheapest guys. I'm, I'm talking to Joe Dolce about how much a marijuana joint costs. I can see how cheap you are. I am cheap. Yeah, you you, are if cheap. I get one for six bucks, maybe. But anyway, cheap, cheap, cheap. when I look for a dentist, I don't look for a dentist who's going to be fancy with that office with the New Yorker magazine in the lobby. Because that's expensive. It's like $9 for that magazine. They're very right? expensive these days. Okay. I look for a dentist like Joe Lichter. Dr. Joe Lichter has a state-of-the-art office, up-to-date technology, techniques, staff, the whole bit. But prices that are a third to a half Really more like a quarter to a third. I don't know how to do math. He's practically giving it all away. He's the crazy Eddie of dentistry. Here's what I'm talking about. Invisalign. Most people pay 5000 Lichter's going to charge you 4000 He's got everything. Zoom whitening, teeth straightening, root canal, the whole bit. So what you do, you call his office, 718-339-7878. You set up an appointment. He's in Midwood. Or you visit his website at josephlichterdds.com. There you go. All right, we paid all the bills. Woo! We got to finish up with these guys. I'll remind you, if you're listening just now, it's Brooklyn Paper Radio. We're with Joe Dolce, former magazine editor all over town. Now he's got a new book, Brave New Weed, 
Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis. Plus, the book is out. He's going to be at the Park Slope Food Co-op on Friday. I'm right, Joe? Friday? Tomorrow night. That's tomorrow night. Friday night at the Food Co-op. 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Public is welcome. You don't have to be a member of the co-op. And you can hear he's going to do a reading. He's a weeding. A weeding. That's nice. That's yeah. nice. Leave the, puns to the, leave the puns to the newspaper professional. Why, why aren't you doing that at 420? <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> he will. He'll have a big day on 420. But here's the point. It's a great book. But more importantly, you'll go to the reading. You'll, you'll ask him questions like we've been asking him. And Ted, Ted Ham, former editor of the Brooklyn Rail, is here with his book, Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn. When's your next reading there, Fred? Uh, Ted? Fred, uh, I keep saying, <laughs> I, I'm not, we're so high here. We're so high. Ted, Just from a sniff. When's uh, your reading? The events are in formation. The book's not coming out till January. Now, why so are we talking to you now? I'm here. Because we called. Because I got an advanced <laughs> copy of that book. It it's landed on my season. desk. Yeah. It landed on my desk, and I said, Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn. That's Brooklyn Paper Radio. I've been a fan of Frederick Douglass's work for as long as I can I, remember. I, I think we're doing something at BAM on uh, Martin Luther King Day. There you go, MLK. Yeah, that's a good day. F D M L K B A M. Some other ones. It's per- perhaps some other ones at the other locations that I mentioned. Where it's it's going to be fantastic. Can I ask Ted a question? Yeah, sure. Of so there's a chapter here called "Self Made Men" in Williamsburg with Walt Whitman. Were Frederick Douglass and Walt Whitman in any way friendly? Uh, they traveled in the same circles, and Walt Whitman, as a journalist at that point, was the Brooklyn Daily Times. Uh, he was the editor brief for the brief stint in the late 1850s, and he went to see Frederick Douglass um, give a speech on his, uh, the subject of self-made men, and he recorded it. So uh, that's compiled in the collection itself, um, in the book. So we have Fr- Walt Whitman, the great Brooklyn literary, greatest Brooklyn literary figure of the 19th century, writing about Frederick Douglass when he comes to town. But he was sort of not so into uh, people of color, Walt Whitman, as I remember well, in the was, beginning, anyway. Well, he he sort of had different perspectives at different points in his um, career. At that point, he was he's, he was anti-slavery, but not pro-black equality. And unfortunately, that was a uh, current sentiment, a current a, a popular sentiment at yeah. the time. Yeah, and that's Lincoln, an, Lincoln, but Lincoln described Lincoln as well. Uh, oh, that's yeah? an untenable. Yeah. Ted, I hate to cast aspersions on earlier generations of great Americans, but that's an untenable position. Well, it was what people thought at the time. They, they weren't willing to uh, address, you know, blacks as full human beings and, and didn't think they were intellectually capable as capable, And but Frederick Douglass was proving them wrong, right? So that, 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 that was a... Um, you know, he was at the, at the lead, leading the charge, basically. Yeah, but so, but that's that's one of those things where, oh well, Douglas is out there, well, and all the whites can say, well, he's the exception that proves the rule. Well, they saw the level, the staggering level of violence and hostility, and just also felt that you know it would be impossible to overcome the racist sentiment of uh, that was coming from the South, but not exclusive to the South. Was there even a word for racism back then? Uh, well, they, I mean, they used various. Yeah, and they, you mean actually describing it as racism? The phenomenon, yeah. They probably didn't well, even well, call yeah, they, it. I don't think well, they even, I would imagine they didn't think about well, it. Well, race was becoming more uh, codified as a science, as a pseudoscience later in the, in the 19th century. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But they, but they understood what it was, white supremacy. Well, certainly, I mean, Thomas Jefferson wrote about, about blacks as being inferior as well. The guy who wrote the Declaration right. of All Men Are Created Equal, Mr. Jefferson, in Notes from the State of Commonwealth of Virginia, whatever that book is called, I read that too a long time ago. He's very much about black inferiority. Did Did Frederick Douglass have a uh, favorite uh, founding father slash patriot? Because me and Gersh argue about this. We all the argue time. about it all the time. Yeah, uh, he tended not to cite the. Um, he, 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 there was a question of whether he saw the Constitution as a force for equality, or he, originally he was aligned with the Garrison William Lloyd Garrison in the position that the. Constitution was a pro-slavery document because of the three-fifths clause, uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and um, so that was uh, his original position. They they shifted to be set to then by the 1850s. He was saying the, the Constitution was a force for equality. So uh, there's a that's a there's a long backstory to that. But um, oh, it was really, malleable. Well, he, he changed. Yeah, he was he he, he changed uh, his positions at different times, but he was always. It, with the same intent of pushing, the, making the case for equality, and sort of a, sort of a tactical move, you might you might call it. All right, I got a last question. This is the toughest one. We always save the toughest one for last, yeah. Ted. If Frederick Douglass was alive today, walking around Brooklyn, would he say this is a golden age, not for marijuana, Joe? Calm down. A golden age for Black Americans, or would he say we are we, we got to go way further? Like, what would he be saying, or would he think, oh my God, you guys have come so far, my work is done? Well. He would 
obviously uh, address the conditions that you know inequality in, in all of its guises, mm -hmm. and you know, you'd have to think that he would address uh, issues of criminal justice and policing and so on. Stop and frisk. Uh, and, and so on. Uh, yes. So, yeah, it's hard. I mean, and gentrification we have to think about, right? So it's hard. I mean, it's hard to, like, take a figure out of his moment, which I, yeah. I really want to make sure that he's seen in his time in the 19th century. Um, so, sure. I, you know, but obviously by the end of his life, he was taking on lynching. Um, you know, he was supportive of Ida B. Wells and the, the great crusading journalist and her work against lynching and so on. So, you know, he was attentive to uh, the conditions that, as they were, as they faced on in, in the moment. See, I think, I, I gotta say, this is where I break with, um, with Douglas, because I'm, as you know, I'm pro-gentrification, always have been. Uh, Douglas probably would, would have been against it even in those days, because I'm sure property values would change as urban, urbanification happened, right? Did he write about gentrification? Well, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, your book is Frederick was, Douglass in Brooklyn. Right. Well, that's, he would have been pretty far-sighted. I mean, blacks were a very small portion of the population. <laughs> well, they didn't uh, call it gentrification. Well, no, Why don't you just ask him if he was a member of the Park Slope Food Club? There you go. <laughs> he, would, he would have been. But he, he, he was a great believer in property rights. I mean, he was, mm. uh, he just, you know, when that used, applied, he didn't think that applied to slavery. He thought, obviously, slaves were people and not yeah. property. Yeah, right. but, he, but he did believe in property rights, and he believed that he was a 19th century liberal uh, in or now what we would also maybe think of as a libertarian um, these days in wow. many respects. So he wouldn't even have zoning laws. We'd have 1,500-story <laughs> buildings <laughs> yeah, in downtown Brooklyn. Why not? We don't know. We're listening. It's getting higher and higher. We're higher get, and higher. We're get, we got to get out because we're running out of time. I, I got one more I got one more question for, no, I mean, for all Joe. Right, fine. Can Good I ask the question? You always do this to me. Then I you do. Me. I Can do. I ask the question? I'm looking at the clock. Now, I know you don't consider marijuana a drug uh, or you consider it a plant. So my <laughs> well, question it is, is a plant. My question is, is. I consider it a plant. Most of the world does. <laughs> <laughs> just my, pointing that out. Just my question is, is marijuana a gateway plant? So I bring my wife home a marijuana plant. Will I come home three weeks later and now she's growing opium and she's growing. I don't know. Well, Poppy, the, I don't know. What the I, what dumb questions continue. But why don't you answer that? It's a gateway to better sex, Ooh, wait more intimacy, and probably to better health. Wow. That's hot. <laughs> I mean, Vinny, you, there it is from Joe Dolce. We, we, last week we talked to the sex toy lady. This week we're talking to the you sex plant guy. should have had with the sex I know, toy well, woman. We, tried. we would have had an interesting, you know, there's a new lubricant out called Foria. Have you heard of this? I, actually, I have heard of this, and she referred to it. Did it, she bring it up? She brought it up, yeah. It's, it's a THC-infused lubricant, yeah. which is not that different from, from eating, ultimately, except it happens really quickly, like 15 minutes, and you feel the effects. But it, it doesn't make, it, you feel it in, in one's vagina, or do you feel it in your throat? Thro I wouldn't know about <laughs> one's vagina. My vagina, I don't know, but um, you feel it throughout your body. Wow, okay. So you can lube up, get high, and have sex. All at the same time with just a few squirts. Well, honey, if you're listening out there, my girlfriend, I, ho I hope she's listening and I hope she's taking it. We can't get that in New York, can we? It's You can get it, but it's, you know, you get, it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. Andrew, gonna, Andrew Cuomo is against... No, Andrew Cuomo. Enhanced, you're not going to get it at Baby. Enhanced lubricants. This is a disaster. Anyway, we gotta, we're running out of time, guys. So we I got to just say, we are so blessed, and I don't even use that term ever, we're so blessed to have Joe Dolce Great editor, magazine editor from years back, details you remember, but also new author of Brave New Weed, Adventures into the Uncharted World of Cannabis. He's going to be at the Park Slope Food Co-op on Friday. All members uh, and non-members are welcome. And we got Ted Ham, another editor, a great editor, uh, formerly of the Brooklyn Rail, and he's got a book out in January called Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn. I got to thank them both because they came here down to the studio in America's downtown Brooklyn to join us on Brooklyn Paper Radio. Of course, I, got, I haven't said it this, this week, but I always say it, my co-host Vince DiMaselli, a very handsome man. Guys, I'm very comfortable with my sexuality. I always tell Vince he's a handsome man. I appreciate that, Gersh. And of course, I'm Gersh Kunstman of The Daily News. Play us out there, Johnny. You're fired. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for that little Trumpism. I gotta thank these guys. I gotta thank Vince. I gotta thank our, our advertisers, Atlas Steakhouse, Dr. Joseph Lichter, and of course, Village Caremax, to live the life you wanna live when we get to the age where we can't live the life we wanna live. And I gotta thank all the makers of sexual lubricants with or without marijuana. And I'm Gersh Kunstman of The Daily News for Brooklyn Paper Radio. Hey, we'll see you next week. <laughs>